Hey guys, welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and this week I am not joined by my typical partner in crime because she wants nothing to do with this topic. Probably wisely, as you will learn as we discuss it. But I have dragged my... I don't, I don't even know what, I, like, you're my prisoner of conscience, uh, Waldorf, onto this podcast. Hello, Waldorf. Hi. I would just go with prisoner in general. <laughs> and, like, prisoner to my own bad decisions. Like, I will cop to that. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel more comfortable if I can just blame you. That's fair. That's fair. So, and the reason why this blame is so well-deserved is because our topic for the week is K-dramas. And that means Korean dramas, if you're not familiar with the term. And these are a very specific media family, I would say, right? Like completely different than, different and distinct from dramas in other cultures. There are a lot of things that very specifically play into K-dramas and why they're so addictive. I would agree, yes. Yeah. So to give a little background on this, um, actually I'm going to make Waldorf do it because it's funnier this way. Oh, Um, Waldorf, how did you get into K-dramas? Well, I met this asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even remember how you dragged me into it. What was the first one you made me watch? I feel like it was Queen and Hyun. Yeah, it was. And then you had me, and now... Okay, so she says to me, after we've fallen back into Supernatural, (laughs) that's what it was. We were both already emotionally vulnerable, so, like, why not? (laughs) No, I was already emotionally vulnerable. So this asshole says, oh, you know what you should really watch? You should watch this thing. So she gives me Queen Inyun's Man, which is amazing. And we'll discuss it at length later, yeah. So I get into that, and it's just, it's so good. And it's like, K-dramas are so nice because they're such a, it's a close-ended story. So like the problem that I often have with shows on American TV is that it just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and usually degenerates. Yeah. Like typically around like what season four is like when they should have just ended it. Right. And this is usually what between 16 and well, the longer historical ones go on to like 50 something, but usually between like 16 and 22, 24 episodes. Yeah. Like, so the typical range 16 to 24, some of the historical epics will go up to 50. There are some, um, weekend quote-unquote family dramas that will go up into the hundreds, but there's, like, basically the sort of dramas where you have them go on for, like, Bones length with 200 seasons or 200 episodes and Supernatural length. Unheard of. Yeah. So it's really nice because it gives you kind of, like, okay, I can endure, you know, this little <laughs> bit of media. And a rational person would consume these, like, okay, I'll watch, like, one or two episodes a week. But, of course, nobody's rational about these. So you essentially sit in your bedroom and you watch as many episodes as you can stomach over, like, three days, and you finish 24 episodes. And it's terrible. (laughs) And, like, you are so dehydrated and insane at the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, like, anybody who follows our Twitter feeds, like, knows that when we talk about these... We are always saying, like, oh, we're so dehydrated, or, yep, I'm crying again. And, like, guaranteed, guys, like, you will cry watching these, no doubt. But so I got into Queen Inhan's Man, which is a kind of historical but kind of modern, which I think is actually a really good first one to watch. Yeah, it's a time, it's a time travel romance. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's perfect. It's great. But then I got into um, one that was actually <laughs> one that was actually airing at the time. So like I couldn't just consume the entire thing. It's called uh, My Love from Another Star. It is a modern setting. Um, he's an alien, but there's also kind of a time travel-y historical component to it. It's amazing. Yeah, I would say that My Love from Another Star is absolutely blockbuster. And I, just to give this a bit more structure, to quickly chime in, I come from K-drama, and I talked a little bit about this way back in the first season of Slash Report, but I come to K-drama um, from Asian dramas in general. Uh, my parents used to watch them when they were dubbed into Chinese. We would get the VHSs from our friends, and like they would sit there and watch like the mega classics, like The Men of the Bathhouse, which is surprisingly not about gay sex. Um, and things like the sand glass and stuff like that. And I never really got into those because they were family dramas and they were like super, super mukjang, which is like melodramatic, like crazy stuff, which is not surprisingly not my particular cup of tea. But then I got older and I did this to myself. Essentially, I, I really did this to myself, specifically by watching the 2000 drama All About Eve starring a bunch of people who are like mega famous for having been in All About Eve and uh, became completely obsessed with them ever since. So there's our background. And t before we get into specific dramas, um, you talked a little bit about this in terms of like the length being part of the attractiveness, but what do you think, it, how would you describe um, the differences between K-dramas and other types of media that we typically see? Because I think that when people first encounter them, there can be a little bit of cognitive dissonance, like it's really weird. Um, and it's not just the cultural weirdness of watching like Korean dramas if you're not right. Korean. But there's like structural weirdness, all sorts of like strangeness, but like somehow that works. Like what was it that struck you? Well, it was funny because the other day you said to me something that had been really apparent to me from like the start of me watching these, where you said basically these are like romance novels. Mm -hmm. And that's really how they are. Like structurally, it's the like, how are we going to get together? And then now that we're together, you know, what impossible thing is going to be thrown at us to like test our love Yes, kind of a situation. So like there's that which appeals. Um, I think that at least American, well, Western media a lot, the characters, especially the male characters, you always kind of have that typical, like, like, um, Oliver Queen is a really, like, emotive male character, right, on CW's Arrow. Like, he has a lot of feelings, he tears up occasionally, Dean Winchester tears up, but you also have that really, like, strong, you know, like... Stoic. Yeah, like, the very John McClane. Like, John McClane is the archetype that has infused Western media yes. for men. That does not no. exist in K-dramas. <laughs> no, it unless doesn't. Unless the character is a sociopath. Which is your bag. Which probably is why that's my bag. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the touchstone of, oh, hey, I recognize this thing, and I am conditioned to find it attractive. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think in K-dramas, you're right. Um, I think the characters, regardless of gender, are allowed to show a lot more vulnerability. Yes. Like, it is not unusual. Like, the current K-drama that I'm watching, 
the male lead <laughs> has burst into like gut wrenching, horrible, like sore throat for months kind of crying at least I wanna say five or six times. Are we talking like about are we in. talking about the Seiguk that you're watching or the thing I just bullied you into watching? The Seiguk. Okay, so brace yourself for the thing I just bullied you into watching. Thanks, bro. You're Thanks. welcome. You're welcome. That's great. Now you guys see how this works, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that it, it, it very much, and like this is just possibly me reading too much into it, right? But I feel like K-dramas, very much the same way that romance novels are, are more for women than they are for men. Like I think men watch them incidentally, but everything about them is st- structured so that it is appeals to women as in the entire romance genre does so like if you look at american television for the most part like even if i mean like for the most part the protagonists are like dudes right like you could know they're mostly about white men on television those are your like lead characters that's like the detective that's oliver queen that's like grant gustin playing the flash that's dean winchester that's most television shows are character driven by like a white guy who has like a lot of man pain or maybe not a lot of man pain or like there was the house era where they were just like dicks, but they right. were misunderstood geniuses, that sort of thing. To the point where having like a female led story is like sort of an oddity, right? And you find them in weird places. So like Good Wife and stuff like that. Whereas if you look at the landscape of K-dramas, almost like, I would say more than 50%, I would say upward of 80% of your leads are going to be women. And it's specifically, like, female characters who are romance novel tropes. They, like, there's this, there's this term called the candy girl, where they're, like, cheerful, hardworking, good-hearted. And it's, like, it's not that this trope doesn't come with its own baggage and problematic elements, but it's totally different because, like, you could just, like, reach into a bin full of K-drama, pull one out, and you have better than even odds that you're going to be pulling out a story about a girl who, like, goes on an adventure in three different equally handsome but differently rich dudes (laughs) fall in love with her. And that's, like, every other K-drama. Yes. Absolutely. And even with that said, even in the ones where, you know, the story is definitely about the dude or the dude's story gets more precedent, it is always a 50-50. Yeah. Like, you always have a male lead and you have a female lead. Yeah. And, you know, so that, and, and when I say female lead, I don't mean that there's, like, the female love interest who gets, like, a couple of episodes devoted to her. I mean, every episode you spend at least 40% of the show in her point of view, knowing her story and her circumstances. Right. And that's not to say that like, there aren't problematic tropes that reappear constantly in gay drama, but it's like, it's such a really different experience because it's literally like watching romance novels appear on your television. It's like the thing that I've been begging for for years, right? Like, I feel like Lifetime could make such fucking bank if they would just, like, license a bunch of Avon Regency romance novels. They could literally use the same fucking sets and just, like, repurpose these stories that we clearly want about, like, women and, like, dudes who are all about that. And Korea seems to have, like, jumped on that bandwagon. Yes, absolutely. And And rode it to the the bank. The women even get to be flawed. Yeah. 
So, like, off the top of my head, I can think about, you know, like, the ones who are conceited and full of themselves. Yes. And the ones who, like, have wicked tempers. And then there are the ones who are total pushovers, and that's their journey to, you know, become less of a pushover. Yeah, I was watching one the other day where, like, her fatal flaw was that she was just, like, a hot, bottled garbage mess every time she got (laughs) drunk. So just, like, and that's, like, another thing that you, like, just... I feel like there's, like, a lack of vanity, I think. Um, Also evident across gender lines in K-drama, which make them so charming. Like, and there are parts of it that still kind of gall me because, like, I've I've been raised in Western society. So, like, parts of it are, like, ugh. But there's so many poop jokes. And, like, people are really comfortable with, like, making, like, defecation jokes around each other. And, like, families are, like, way too close. And, um, like, people get sloppy, hilariously drunk, like, constantly. Like, constantly characters are, like, hurling on street sides and things like that. And I'm like, oh my god, it's, like, stuff that you actually just don't see that much in Western media. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, like, on top of that, like, you get the sloppy, sloppy drugs, but you also have, like, the added element of, like, dealing with that in kind of, like, a really real way. Yeah. Of, like, instead of, like, the really embarrassing, like, oh, what did I do that is in Western media, it's, like, the, I know exactly what I did, and so I'm going to try to avoid you at all costs. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> take the stairs instead of the elevator, forgetting that everything is made out of glass, and you can see me being an ass about this. Yeah, like, or I'm gonna, like, attempt a crab walk backward out of this room. Like, yes. It's, it's really interesting, right? Because it's definitely a medium that has, like, a lot of prescript, prescriptive behaviors and rules, but it also lacks a lot of, like, the specific artifice that I'm so used to in Western media. So I, I don't know how much of it is refreshing just because I've consumed so much more Western media than Asian media, which, although at this point I'm, like, current, I'm definitely 50-50, mm-hmm. um, or if it's something else entirely. But I... I, I enjoy it a great deal. Yeah, yeah, and I would say that I watch way more Western media. Like, K-dramas are really the only uh, Eastern media that I, like, take in. But, and, like, some of the things, like, there are jarring things about it that you kind of do have to get used to. Like, the chastity. Yes! (laughs) Where, like, in Western media, if people are together, like, like, for example, if you're married... You would expect to see them kiss on a regular basis or, like, just touch Express physical affection. No. Does not happen. Like, (laughs) three inches at least apart at all times. They're saving room for Jesus. They are hella saving room for Jesus. And, like, if you're dating, or not even if you're dating, like, a big thing about K-dramas is that the love that the two leads have is always, like all-consuming, faded, meant to be super passionate, like... So chaste. But yeah, like, the big thing... Guys, you're gonna get really excited when somebody comes up behind somebody else and hugs them. The back hug. Yeah, and... The back hug is going to, like, just make you have these warm (laughs) fuzzies inside. It completely changes, like, your (laughs) metric for what, like, for what consummation of a relationship is. Totally. I mean, I'm like a filthy pervert, right? So I basically am like, well, unless you guys have been like raw dogging it, I really, you know, like, yeah, 
you're still so but then that's like western media right and reading if i'm re if i'm watching a k-drama and like two people have like an awkward kiss where their mouths just like touch each other but don't move i'm like oh my god that is like ultra hot <laughs> because well, like, and, like the one that i'm watching right now i actually texted you about this one and i was like it was CPR in, like, the year 1600. Which is but, absurd. Right. Just <laughs> ridiculous. So, but, so the female lead is performing CPR on the male lead. And I was like, oh, my God. They're doing, like, all the hallmarks of it being a kiss. And, and I mean, it's just CPR. He's not even conscious for this. But it's so good. It's like, it's like the closest to physical affection we've had. Although, I mean, like... That's like a failing to me. It's both a failing and a boon, right? Because it's a failing because it's really, really inaccurate. Like, that's not actually the way that people, like, interact with each other. And, like, people, like, are still engaging in premarital sex and necking, like, in Korea. Even though, like, all of their media says that, like, we don't do all of that stuff on the big three networks anyways. At the same time, I think that it does allow for less of the use of sex as a shortcut for things, right? Because, like, you spend so much time with these characters and you have to build up the emotional intensity in different ways. It can't just be physical intimacy. And so it comes to you in, like, really unexpected ways um, so that, like, you feel really stupid, but these things are really meaningful. Like, for example, cell phones become, like like, the biggest, most romantic thing in the world. Or... Um, what is, like, anything, basically anything from the K-drama When the Moon Embraces the Sun is just a long exercise in, like, them using semaphore to express, like, people who want to bone but can't bone for reasons and stuff. And it's just... So many reasons. So many reasons, so much stuff. It just forces you to be a little bit more creative about driving the chemistry, right, and the romance. Right, and I mean, I can see why, as a device, like, they need to do that, right? Because the general, like, progression of a relationship, within the first ten episodes, you've got the relationship pretty well established, right? Yes. By, like, episode ten, your main couple is either happy or on their way to being happy. And then you sit there and you go, oh, yes. And you look and you go, oh, oh shit, fuck. I'm on episode ten. <laughs> Right? I mean, so a lot of, I feel like if anybody has been following, like, your Twitter or my Twitter, or basically, like, if anybody follows people on Twitter or social media who watch K-drama, then I am certain that you guys have all seen the phrase, I'm crying, this, it's too early. Um, And it's not because, like, we're watching this, like, in the morning, or, like, it's two in the morning and we're still watching it. It's because, although that is also very true. But it's because, like, K-dramas are so romance novel in the sense that there's, like, such a prescribed, like, arc. And you know exactly which which relative beats you're supposed to hit at what numerical episode you're supposed to be on, depending on the length of the drama. That, like, so, for example, the one that I'm currently watching, I started crying like a motherfucking bitch in episode one. But that was fine. Because generally speaking, if there's a tragic setup, you will cry in episode one. But then I was crying again in episode three. And I was like, no, it's too early. If I start crying in episode three, this means I'm going to sob like machine gun bursts of sobbing until the end. 
It's 20 episodes long. I don't have that much water or Shiraz in my body for that. Uh, I'm so depressed. I know. I am too. I'm really depressed about our lives and our choices. Yeah, because what she's doing has dragged me into the one that she's currently watching. And so I'm on episode two. I don't want to so, be alone. I, so I refuse not... to be alone. <laughs> yeah, so, so I basically got another hour before I start you know, machine gun sobbing. Yeah, it's true. Well, so, I mean, this is like a good way to like segue into the next general question. What specifically is it about K-drama that was, that worked for you, right? Like what about it has that addictive quality? I'm trying to think. In the really, in the, in the good ones, Mm -hmm. the conflict is external to the couple. So, in some K-dramas, the, the, and the ones that I don't tend to like as much, it's a, like, internal kind of, like, we were married and now we're divorced and now we're getting back together. I don't tend to like those ones as much. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I can't be with you, blah, 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 blah. Those ones don't tend to work for me as well as the ones that it's like, we want to be together, we need to be together. We can't be together because, I don't know, your father is the leader of a rebellion. <laughs> or, or, or your alien. father had a conspiracy and had my entire family murdered. Yep, or I'm your father's concubine. Or... <laughs> These like, are all specific, like, true examples. Yeah, I'm not making this shit up. But, like, don't let that scare you. <laughs> because what you have to embrace, right, like, the, the hurdles that you have to get over, and I'll get back to what I really like about it in a second, but the hurdles you have to get over is, A, these are all in Korean, and you're watching subtitles. Yes. Which I guarantee you, by episode 10 of your first drama, you are going to, like, turn away and do something else, fully thinking that you can understand Korean. Absolutely. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you're going to turn around and be like, shit, I don't know what just happened, and, like, <laughs> rewind and read the subtitles although you do start picking up some korean from watching it like you really do nothing good for you right like just specific k-drama terminology that you like should not use in polite society <laughs> so like um what, what was like the first korean phrase that i learned from watching oh i know what this was so i was watching kung which we'll talk about later um and i which i talked about a long time ago which is like a mega hit like teen trendy um K-drama, and the term was chugule, which the female lead said to her little brother, and which was basically, do you want to die? Which seemed like a really useful term to me. And that's like, it's one that I catch even now, like in random K-dramas, when people say that, I'm like, oh, oh, I know that one. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, I think that the first one that I really picked up, which is one that I still like, will actually think to myself is, and I have no idea if I'm saying it right, but I think it's O2K. Yeah. Which basically is like, what do I do? What do I do? Or what to do? What to do? Yeah. Which I know because uh, the mother of one of the protagonists and son of a woman (laughs) screams that as her daughter uh, lets her know that she's dying of cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And she basically says it like a million and five times and it has imprinted on my brain because apparently my brain is vulnerable when I'm in the fetal position sobbing. I totally forgot that I scammed you into watching that one. <laughs> you are such 
No, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. As much as Waldorf is, like, cursing my name and creating a voodoo doll, right, based off of, like, my nose hair or whatever. Um, so I got I got her to watch Queen Inhyun's Man because I think that I was talking about, I was trying to explain to you, like, what my problem was because I was watching it for, like, the fifth time or something like that. Just, like, quietly crying to myself. Like, <laughs> well, like, every couple of months, I think, like, you know what would be a great way to spend, like, a weekend? If I rewatch Queen Inhyun's Man and just, like, quietly dehydrate myself by crying from basically episode 8 through 16, <laughs> um... So I, I think I was trying to explain the attraction to you, and I, I was just like, you know what, fuck it. This is, like, too hard. If you're willing to give it a shot, and this is, like, why Waldorf is great. Um, I was like, if you're willing to give it a shot, here it is. It's on Hulu. Check it out. And it's it's visually stunning. It's really beautifully it shot. Um, it's, like, immediately eye-catching because the opening sequence is really interesting. And... The first episode, I think, genuinely knocks it out of the park in the sense of, like, making you really love both of the lead characters. And so, like, you fell ass over tea kettle for that. And I think once you watch that, um, you were interested in seeing other types of K-dramas that kind of had similar elements, right? And, <clears throat> and that had happened right around the time that my love from another star which is what we'll talk about next, and this will mostly be Waldorf talking, um, <laughs> appeared in the K-drama sphere. So, like, K-dramas, because they only last 16 episodes, they don't air one per week. They typically air two per week. So K-dramas really only run for, like, three months at a time. So every year, think about it, the fact that, like, the major, there are, like, three major networks and, like, two major cable networks, I think, and they have like, two or three to four K-dramas per night running. So there's tons of these that come out in spates of, like, three, every three months, there's, like, a whole new class of K-dramas to watch. So even if, like, you go through a season and you don't like any of them, it doesn't matter because you just have to wait, like, another month and there's, like, 16 new romance novels for you to pick between. Um... So when you had finished crying your eyes out over Queen and Hyun's Man, that was right around the time that you, My Love from Another Star started. And I, I watched the first two episodes. And it, it's not my particular bag, which means that I'm alone because everyone else in the world loves this drama. She's wrong. Everybody's uh, bag. Anyways. So I was like, well, if you, like the, if you like the sort of magical realism time travel element, you should check this out because it's like an incredibly famous, talented actress who is returning to television for the first time in like more than a decade. And like one of the hot young things that's very famous right now. And they're doing a drama that is like kind of blowing it out of the water across the board right now. So you should check it out. So she watched a couple of episodes and then I sort of like lost track of it because it's not my thing. But then like, I think I talked to you like a couple days later and you were like essentially like an empty husk of a human. So that's going to lead us into our discussion of uh, a number of recent dramas. First of which is my love from another star. Take it away, Waldorf. Okay, great. So the husk, husk of a person. <laughs> yeah, I was still am um this is the one that i always think that i should rewatch again um and it's always a bad decision essentially the conceit of this is that um the main lead 
um, is an alien. <coughs> and he <laughs> shut up. So he comes down and he is um, basically he's with his like family and they're going to be studying this. And this is all inferred because he does not talk for like the first 30 minutes. And he's going to be studying people and he um, he essentially runs into this girl who is 15 and already a widow. And Oh, to give some context, this is in historical Korea, yes, not I'm modern sorry. day. I'm sorry, yes, this is the historical portion of this. He runs into this girl and he connects with her and ends up, you know, saving her. And then you fast forward to modern day. And the female lead, Songyi, is incredible. Like, she is by far my favorite K-drama lead. She's the most popular actress in all of Korea, and she knows it. And she's, like, (laughs) fabulously selfish and cocky and, like, things that you're really used to seeing from men, she (laughs) just does naturally. And she's kind of a vapid, like, she tweets out these dumb things. She misuses words. She has no idea what she's talking about, like, ever. But she's so fantastically unrepentant about it because she's famous. So she can get away with it. And But she's also, you know, she's so vulnerable. And essentially what happens is that she seems to be the reincarnation of this girl that he connected with way in the past. And he's so mad about it because she's terrible. And he doesn't want to be in love with her, like, at all. I mean, (laughs) if you watch a little bit of this, I don't blame him for not wanting to be in love with her. (laughs) Chung Song-hee is tremendous, but not... (sighs) No, and it does take, like, you really have to watch it for, I'd say, you, you have to commit to this one for, like, I'd say three or four episodes before you really get where she's coming from. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of work with, like, him and his story, but... They let her kind of be the vapid, like, actress who's on top and just bitchy for a long time. And then you find out that, you know, she's got a tragic story, that she's really the lead actress because she's supporting her family, because her mother is, you know, one of those um, show moms. And their relationship, she ends up moving next door to him, and then he incidentally ends up being her professor, And this is all just so ridiculous. Like, I can hear myself saying it, and it's just absurd. But he, anyway, so he is angry about the fact that he's attracted to her, and he keeps getting visions about needing to save her. And through a series of events, her life kind of takes a dump, and he finds himself unwillingly playing the role of her protector. And it kind of goes from there. But it is super, super addictive. Like, the effects are great. The chemistry between the two leads is incredible. Like, they just spark and are super hot together, Um, even though it's very, very chaste still because it was on one of the major (laughs) networks. Like, there's one part where, like, he has plants in his apartment that, like, react to his moods, and I think the plants end up getting dried out at one point, which was, like, a metaphor for him being horny. And I can remember being like, oh, yes, he's so into her. And then, like, taking a step back and being like, I can't deal with this. This cannot be my life, being excited about dried-out plants. 
Yeah, um, I mean, we're not kidding when we talk about, like, how sort of incidentally sexless the shows are. Like, they'll make oblique references to sexuality, but, like, it's in very prescriptive ways. And I've only ever seen... So, like, Queen and Hyun's Man, we have basically, like, the cup they, like, fuck before, like, the second wave of fresh crying starts. Um, that one, we have that, like, confirmed canonical and then in another drama called emergency couple which is actually about like a divorced couple um the guy pops a stiffy but like not explicitly stated but like the actor is like doing a he's doing like the pants dance that you've seen dudes do (laughs) like he has a boner like and those are the only times i've ever seen it do you know what i mean no 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 what was the one that we just watched um faded to love you Oh. That was a major plot point in that one. That was a major plot. Okay, that's fair. To and be also fair, that one started in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It's a remake of a Taiwanese drama where lots of people bone after getting drunk. Yeah, but they even like let you see them in bed together. I know. So with, like, incredible. Just the sheets. Yeah, don't get excited though, guys. Like when you actually watch the sex scene, <laughs> you're gonna be like, what are they talking about? And, like, I will say to you, if you watch Queen Inkyun's band first, you need to understand that, like, the level of physical affection in that is not going to be replicated, like, ever. There are things about that drama that, like, they got away with and that are, like, elements to that story, like, the physicality of it, like, the way that the male protagonist is written, that just don't get replicated. Which is why I watch it, like, every couple of months. Right. Right, like, male protagonists in K-dramas tend to, whatever I want to say, they're man babies, I guess. They are. But, like, not in the Western sense of a man baby. It's very, like, 12-year-old boy childish. Yeah, they're very pigtail pulley. Yes, and, like, pouty and, you know, might be able to step up and defend the female protagonist if she needs it. But nine times out of ten, they have a lot of feelings. They don't understand what to do with them. There's some crying. And a lot of times the female lead does a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, like he'll get really jealous at one point and do the wrist grab. Um, wrist they, grab. they might cry in the rain for a little bit. This, this is all fairly stock standard. But back to Chung Song Yi and um, her professor. Yes. Sorry. So the other element to this story... Which is great. You have the whole arc of the alien and actress falling in love. But the second lead, and in K-dramas there is frequently, if not always, a secondary male lead who is also in love with the female lead. And they'll get like close to, you know, will she, who's she going to pick? I mean, does she ever pick the second male lead? I've never seen one where she'll pick the second male lead. Not really, no. Yeah, so he's like there to basically make the first male lead jealous. Yes, that's that's his only purpose. Yeah, but so the second male lead in this one, um, in My Love from Another Star, happens to be the youngest son of some big company. I don't even remember what they do. They're always but, like the rich son of a big company. Yes, yes. So he's desperately in love with her, and she has essentially been shooting him down Since middle school. Yes. And, like, I mean, like, publicly humiliating him. Kind of shooting him down. But he's hella dumb. Pretty, (laughs) but dumb. 
so he keeps going after her. His oldest brother has died in a tragic accident, and his middle brother has taken over the family business and um, is shady. And this is the second love of my life. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> he is a raging sociopath, guys. And, like, when I say sociopath, I mean, like, he volunteers at an animal shelter because he likes to get the drug that, like, like what paralyzes dogs before you put them down. So that he can inject people with it and then shove them over the railings of boats. <laughs> <laughs> and you love him so much. I do. <laughs> like, literally, anything that this actor is in now, I will watch it, like, just waiting. Because he plays this sociopath so well. Because he's so flat and so unrepentant and so good at it. Like, actually, if you guys like the way that Sherlock goes from like the Sherlock perspective to like the making like oh hi how are you like the the put on that he does you will like this character as well because you are all as fucked up as I am um but anyway he is trying to kill her because she found something out or she happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and so then the um I really need to look up his name what is his name you you don't you don't we don't need to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> indulge your like creepy psycho love of him no no, no. i was looking up the um alien because i keep calling him the alien guy oh. um <laughs> minjun so the alien minjun he um has to rescue her from these basically assassination attempts while trying to still hide his secret and working against the ticking down clock of his departure And so in the second half of the drama, that is what you are up against. The fact that he has now fallen in love with Sogi. They are terrible together, but, like, just so amazing. And um, people are trying to kill her, and he is losing control of his powers because that's another aspect of his alienness, is that he's, like, I want to say he's, like, Superman, but, like, with more powers almost. So, yeah, he's just amazing. So he's saving her, and... Well, don't give away the ending in case anyone decides to... (laughs) Okay, I will leave it at that. He's struggling to save her and working against the ticking down clock of his return to his home planet. And the thing we should say is that very much in the vein of romance novels, you shouldn't be that concerned about the endings of these things. Right. Because the endings are usually the correct endings. Right. Even if the ending, like, and when we see the correct ending, like, even if the character has cancer and the entire conceit of the show has been about the fact that she is going to die, they will still give you, like, a ten, you know, like a five year later kind of tag on the end. And she's fine. She's She's okay. She's good. And you will be, like, I don't know, some of you assholes will probably be happy about that, but I felt incredibly betrayed. (laughs) That is because there's something really messed up with you. She was supposed to die. That is why I invested all of that emotional agony into it, and then she didn't die, and it was a waste of my time. She was specific- this is- Waldorf is (laughs) specifically bemoaning the female protagonist of Scent of a Woman still being alive in the last episode, despite the fact that the premise of the show is that she gets cancer. (laughs) Like, <laughs> and it's like a 
fast moving cancer, guys. It's not like one of those ones that you can operate on. No, she's past operable. She's supposed to have no time left. I do experimental treatment. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it was like she got his peen in her and it saved her. I actually read a fanfic like that once. I'm sure you did. It wasn't healing cock, but it was uh it was pretty close and it was um <laughs> it was keenly aware of its foolishness. <laughs> so that's uh my love from another star, which is probably one of the most famous K dramas around right now. <clears throat> um by which I mean it's internationally famous. Like it's hugely popular in all parts of Asia, uh, Yves Saint Laurent red lipstick sold out because Chong Song Yi uses a specific type. Like they ran out of this like $90 lipstick. Um, there was a run on it because everyone wanted it. I'll be really honest. I have necklace that she wears in the show. Yeah. Um, what else did, what else did they manage to do? Didn't they, the shoes that she had, the, um, yes. Yeah. They were supposed to be, like, one-of-a-kind shoes, and they're actually a plot point in the show. And they had those, and they sold out of them. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I have those shoes. <sighs> I would have had those shoes if I had any money. I don't have those specific shoes. I have, like, the cheap Aldo knockoff of those shoes. Oh, all right. Fair. fair. Yeah. I can't I can't afford Chung Sung Yi shoes. Come <laughs> on. Let's not be ridiculous. And, I mean, to the point where it is... It got optioned by the U.S., so they're making, like, an American version of this, which BT Dubs, Waldorf, you and I are definitely going to watch. Just to be like, how bad is this? Right, because the thing about, like, these shows is that they don't fit with any of the Western, like, beats. No. At all. It it just doesn't make sense. Trans it like they make sense in their context. They do right. not make sense translated into. I just I can't. Can you even imagine what like an American version of Minju would be like? It would no. be it would be like action hero Minju. No, I can't even because like either you'll have like Tom Welling, which oh God. don't say that Minju is like this slight sort of waifish. He is. He's Dude. incredibly waifish, and he tries so hard to be, like, stoic. Yeah. So he's almost Spocky in, in that way. Yeah. But then he breaks out this smile, and guys, no lie, he is beautiful. Yeah, he lights up a room. Just, like, like he is the reason that she got me to watch another show. Oh, I did. It was actually quite cruel the way I did it. But she like, was mean, I get- <laughs> he's beautiful. He's and great, like, and but he's also, like, he wears, like, very prissy little suits and, like, rides oh, a yeah. bike and is, like, weirdly gets, like, his pride, like, poutily hurt in, like, very girlish ways. I just don't see how that character translates into a Western parallel. Like, it just doesn't really make sense to me. No, and I'm worried about, like, what they'll do with her because, like, she has those really, like, pouty kissy fit kind of things but it's very much like that facade that she puts up right you know to to hide you know the deeper hurts and like i don't see how they play that off without making her either paris hilton or trying to make her too sympathetic and going completely in the other direction you know right and i think the other element of it that i'm concerned about about the 
the translation to a Western version of the story. And who knows, like maybe they'll consider all of this as they're setting it up, but I'm not really confident about it. Is that like so much of her motivation is tied up in the very particular family dynamics that you Mm -hmm. have in Asian cultures, like that don't really make sense outside of those, that constructed, you know, society. Like the stuff that she does and the choices that she makes and, like, the sort of way that she lets her mom, like, behave and walk all over her doesn't make sense if she's American, right? Because, right. like, you would just not have a relationship anymore with your mother. Right. And, I mean, that, well, I think that there are parts of it where you could, like, I think that American or even Western audiences can identify with it because I think that for a lot of people, you know, like myself personally, you make bad choices because your family needs you to make those choices at that time. Right. But you never see it in media, like well, ever. And right. And I, but I also media. think it's like, it's a matter of extent, right? right. Like, oh no, totally. Cause like also the... you don't buy it in our media because you should have that choice to walk away. And we expect our protagonists to be able to disengage because they have the freedom to do so. Right. And I think it's almost interpreted as like a sign of weakness. If you don't like, why don't you have like the guts or the self-respect or like whatever to walk away from this thing that is like bad for you. Whereas in the context of like my love from another star, like she can't, this is her family. That's not the way Asian families roll. Right. So that'll be interesting to see how it translates. It's going to be terrible guys. Just straight up seven up. Terrible. (laughs) I mean, we are watching this. But uh, we are one hundred percent watching this. <laughs> we have no expectations. None expectations of it being good. I'm going to watch all three episodes that they managed to air before they be cancel angry. it. Before they cancel it. <laughs> um, okay, so that's my love from another star. That's like an epic one. What's another one that we should discuss that's like fairly recent? Oh, you know what? I'll take over here. Um, another major show. Well, there are two that we can talk about. Um, is Fated to Love You. <sighs> Dog poop, baby. Yes. So, how do... <laughs> I'll, do I'll do this one. I'll throw myself on this grenade. <laughs> so, Fated to Love You is based on um, a, a Taiwanese drama basically of the same name that was produced, I want to say like three or four years ago. And it was like a mega hit in Taiwan as well. And then they, when they said that they're redoing it for Korea, I was really initially skeptical because the topical matter is a little bit racier than you typically see with Korean dramas. Um, And the setup is essentially this, that you have this incredibly like very sweet mousy girl who refers to herself as a post-it because everyone needs them and uses them, but like they're disposable. No one really thinks about her. And she's like very kind, but um, she's 100% like a fucking doormat. You know, she never stands up for herself. And she, she's been living this very quiet life of endurance as a result of that. Um, And then you have this like completely opposite end, like, hilariously flamboyant see I don't even know how to describe this guy flamboyant CEO of basically Johnson and Johnson like it's their version of Johnson and Johnson their family has like owned this company that makes like 
bath products forever. Um, like organic ones. Or very meaningful organic ones. Yes. So, <laughs> and he's like crazy and like a chaebol, which is like the Korean term for like the son of a rich corporate dynasty. Um, but he is also completely different than any other chaebol that has ever showed up in a K-drama. And the way that I seduced Waldorf into watching this with me was, so basically I knew what the plot of this show was because of the Taiwanese drama version. Like I hadn't watched it, but I knew enough of it to go with it. And I knew that I did not want to be alone on this hellish ride. So I watched the first episode and like nearly had a seizure, right? Like, and everyone who has watched Faded to Love You knows what I'm talking about. Like in the first five minutes of that show where you're like, what the fuck is happening right now? And so I watched the whole first episode and then I stopped. I was like, I refuse. I need like, I need someone else in this foxhole with me. Like there's some mustard gas in the form of Jungkook coming my way and I refuse to do this alone. So eventually, once this one was done with, like, her whatever crazy K-drama she was watching at the time, I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to show you something. I, you don't need any context for it because I can't even give it to you. But you're going to watch five minutes. I just want you to watch the opening of this. And then we're going to go on this journey together. And basically, the opening of Faded to Love You is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life because it starts off as like a commercial where this like girl is like selling a shampoo but then she calls cut because she's angry about the way the commercial is being shot and then like a dude comes out of nowhere with this sociopathic crazy laughing and starts like pouring water down himself and like ripping his chest like his shirt open so his like glistening pecs are exposed and having like a sexual experience with the shampoo and that's how you get introduced to the CEO of this fucking shampoo company cuz he's a treasure he's a national treasure and I love him. He's so perfect. He's such a psychopath. Um, but the actual, that, that's just the opening. And like, I'm not doing it justice. Like, all you need to do is Google Faded to Love You Korean. And then like, just watch like the first five minutes of episode one. Because at the end of it, you're going to say, What? And then, like, 24 hours later, you're going to hate me because you'll have watched the entire series and you won't have slept or done anything, but you'll be dead from dehydration and Godspeed. Um, it'll be worth it. It'll, be it'll totally be worth it. But so the actual setup of this is that you have these two diametrically opposed, like, characters. And she has had rotten luck her entire life. And this one time she wins this random prize drawing and goes to this luxury resort in Macau and like has brought the, she works as like a secretary or a temp admin at a law firm and has brought like the cute lawyer. He's who's like super nice to her at work along is her boyfriend, you know, and she's like implied a virgin and she's so sweet about it and she's like so excited this is like the first nice thing that's ever happened and like she really really likes this lawyer guy and she's like really excited to like bone him but she's like giggly about it um and then you have this table dude who is like also super excited because his girlfriend who is a professional ballerina is finally coming back to korea after having lost the spot of prima ballerina in her company again to someone else. 
and he's like planning this like crazy proposal, like this crazy wedding proposal um, in the square of this luxury resort. Obviously, things go badly for both of them. And there's like a lot of like complicated, crazy buys that you have to make for this. But suffice it to say, at the end of this night where no one gets engaged and she doesn't manage to like, and she finds out that her lawyer boyfriend is not a good human, um, they end up, both of them, doped up on aphrodisiacs in his room and they bone down. (laughs) Yes. And they do the sex and make a baby. And she finds out that she's pregnant and... There and his family finds out that she's pregnant through a series of like crazy incidences, and they're like, You have to marry her immediately. And it's not actually a result of like crazy family conservatism so much as the fact that like his grandmother and his mother are all like, Every man in this family dies young, you have got to marry her and have a baby like right now. And his whole family loves her so much because they're like, She's such a good person, and she's so like generous and kind and pure-hearted like and she's pregnant with your baby like she's perfect um and then the rest of the story is basically about their relationship trying to develop a relationship having started off on this like absolutely bizarre footing and sort of the craziness that ensues but I think the reason that both of us fell for it so hard is the particular dynamic the two of them have where she's very dismissive of her self-worth where she's like oh I'm like a post-it like nothing really happens to me like nothing is really important about me blah 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 and she has like a very common name Well, like three women in her office have it. And so she's like, she's like, oh, my name is this. It's like everyone has this name. It's like the most common. There's like 10,000 of us in Korea. It would be like if you were like Emily Smith. Exactly. It's like like a um, million of you. Yeah, there's like a million of us. It's not, it's not a good name. And he's like, don't be ridiculous. Things are popular when lots of people like them. Um, And he always does this. You know, he always kind of like cuts into the middle of her like self-doubt and just unearths this gem of like truth that really highlights how wonderful she is, not just to like us, but to her specifically. And the way that their pattern works out is so lovely, right? They have this crazy chemistry Mm -hmm. and she's just so effervescently happy with him. Yes. Yeah, and I think that the one big thing, like, the big scene that sells you on, I think on him, really, because, especially watching this, I think I had just finished Secret Garden, and then gotten into this one, and I couldn't stand the male lead in that one, like, the primary male lead, I just, he was too much of the baby character, and what sold me on Lee Gun was the fact that he is able to step up to the plate and actually like he's childish and he's crazy and and like such a playboy and and so ridiculous but there's this scene where she has right after they've done the sex she goes back to her hotel oh god yes um the lawyer she brought with her has boned down with somebody else and basically spends the entire time that she's like standing there and you know she's just had sex for the first time and she doesn't know what's happened and you know she's in such a bad mental place yeah and he spends the entire time like yelling at her Mm -hmm. just tearing her down just just horrible and she's on the ground and uh lee gun comes into the room and like 
grabs her shoes and says, just come on, and just takes her out of that situation. And he's so angry at this lawyer. And, like, throughout the show, harasses the shit out of this guy. Like, he does not (laughs) ever let this grudge die. But basically, he, like, gives her this huge makeover and puts her on his arm. And basically, they end up at a gambling table across from the you know, scummy lawyer and his new hot floozy. And Lee Gunn just refuses to accept that he has anything less than the most beautiful, perfect woman on his arm. Yes. And it's just, and and he never does it in like a patronizing way. Like there's a moment where he's like, he hands, he holds out the dice. Yes. You know, blow on the dice, be my good luck. And she just kind of looks at him like, I don't know what you want me to do. (laughs) and he just he just rolls with it and it's so effortless and it's so kind that you just you you just sit there and you're like yes this is exactly what I want and that doesn't ever go away you know he has these really childish ridiculous moments but that always resurfaces especially in service of her yeah, and it's also it's also really delightful because it's one of those rare scenes. So you know how like in every show ever there's also there's always like a makeover scene where like the frumpy girl turns hot. Right. Um so there are two reasons why the makeover scene in this in Faded to Love You is particularly wonderful. Number 1, the makeover scene is done entirely in service. Like he forces her to get the makeover so that she can like look sickening and make that lawyer eat it. Right? Like, it's not to, like, it's not to, like, prove a point to, like, himself or anybody else. It's, like, it's literally the way that girls would give each other a makeover to, like, make their ex, like, fucking eat it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's, like, so ace. And number two, as soon as that scene is over, she goes back to looking like a colorblind country mouse. And it's (laughs) wonderful because that's what she dresses, like, 90% of the time. Yes. So true. She does so, not stay, like, hot. Right. No, it's just totally for that night to make that one guy eat it. Yep. And then she's back to being her. Yeah. And it's lovely. It's just lovely. Yeah. And he, he, all the things that he finds unbearable about her, he grows to love in horrible, desperate, embarrassing ways. Like, yes. he calls her a snail. Because she just, like, slowly encroaches on his life. And then, like, eventually that's, like, his endearment for her is, like, snail. Where's my snail? And it's just, it's, it's tremendous. It is. And it has such a great supporting cast, too. Oh, my gosh. It's really great. Like, his personal assistant <laughs> is amazing. Like, they are platonic married. Yeah. Like, knows him better than he knows himself, is constantly like, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and what the hell are you doing? Oh my god, come back here. It, just wonderful. His grandmother, who is the retired head of his company, is phenomenal. Yes. Like, just the matriarch of this family, and is not putting up with anybody's shit at all. And then his father had a uh, they call her the concubine, which is so funny because it's a modern setting. Yeah. But basically he had this other love and, or this other woman, not even a love, and um, had a son with her. And they live in the same house as the grandmother and Lee Gun. 
And they're, of course, always scheming because, you know, she would like her son to take over the company instead of Lee-Gun. And then on her side, her mother is incredible. Like, just so... She's, like, the, the mother who hits you over the head with the spoon, but then will, like, come after anybody, anybody who hurts you with, like, a machete. Did I tell you... So, the part of this... And this is, like, another thing that I really particularly do love about K-dramas is that even though that you're talking about such a con- like uh, such a condensed period of time for the show that they will actually spend the time on family relationships. Yes. And Fated to Love You has one particular moment which was like when I started crying. <laughs> um and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this moment where her mother like she comes from a really small town and obviously like Lee Gunn, who is, like, the table dude, his family owns, like, the one single employer in this one town, right? Because they own a soap factory there. And he's, like, planning to close it for whatever reason. And now that they know she has this connection to him in the sense that, like, she had a one-night stand with the guy in his prego, um, they're, like, trying to get her to, like, marry him. And she doesn't want to initially, right? Because she right. knows that he has a girlfriend and that he's really serious about her. And she doesn't want to be a burden and she doesn't want this kid to be a burden. She wants, like, any baby she has to be loved. So she's actually, like, planning on getting an abortion. Um, yes. Which and is another close. thing. Which is another thing that you normally don't see. Anyways, so this whole town has turned out to be, like, don't get the abortion, like, marry him, marry him so that you can save our jobs, whatever, whatever, whatever. And her mother does this incredible thing because the whole time leading up to this, all of the interactions you see between her and her mother, her mom is basically yelling at her about stuff, like, affectionately yelling at her about stuff, telling her not to be such a doormat, telling her, like, asking her, like, why are you like this? That sort of thing. And her mom gets up on this, she gets up on, like, a literal box or something, and she's like, how dare you people? My daughter is not particularly, she's not beautiful. She doesn't have a good body. And did she <laughs> do good, good in school? Math. Did she do good in school? No. She was really dumb. And she was particularly bad at math. Because you know what? She's not calculating. And she's the kindest person in the world. This is a girl who would not hesitate to give you like the shirt off of her back if you asked for it. How dare you people ask her to do something like this for you? Like, how dare you? And she just, like, goes off on this crazy rant at them. And I just, like, cascades of tears down my face. Just hysterical sobbing because her mother loves her so much and she's so loved. And it's just wonderful to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, like, the lead-in is so great, right? Like, she's not beautiful. She's, like, got a sad-ass figure. Like, she's pretty dumb. But, like, she's such a good person, and none of those things actually matter, right? Like, none of those things matter. Yeah. So wonderful. It is. It's just, it's it's such a good show. It's like. a tremendous show. Um, and the other one that I wanted to talk about, which I will keep briefer, um, as this one only cut out fairly recently, and you haven't seen this one. Um, it's called I Hear Your Voice. And it was um, another mega hit. And it stars my favorite person in the world. <sighs> Lee Jung-suk. He's like basically the most beautiful twink in the world. 
Like, and I say twink, but he is like six foot three or something like that. Yeah. He's a giant. So not re- I mean, like, I feel like I would look at him and I'd be like, oh my God, my adorable little twink. And he'd be like towering over me by two feet. But yeah, he's like. He also looks like he's like 12. He does look like he's 12. But he is like really plush, beautiful mouth. <laughs> I, like, lost an article in there because my brain went off into a pervert track. <laughs> I just, like, he has mouth. It is plush. Uh, good mouth. Mouth. Good mouth. He also has this, like, beautiful beauty mark under his... Oh, my God, it's terrible. I can't. I Just, like, everything that comes out of my mouth makes me sound like a drooling pervert, which I am. Um, but it stars Lee Jong-suk who really sort of, like, appeared, like, the first major role that he had was actually in Secret Garden, which was, like, another huge hit a couple years back. But he stars off playing, like, a musician who is canonically, like, gay and in love with some, like, our second lead or something like that. And he was lovely and wonderful in that. And then he did a couple of other roles, including School 2013, which I wreck to people all the time, um... Because it is, it should just be renamed Thugs in Love Crying in the Rain because they're so in love with each other. Which is where, like, the Kim Woo Bin, who is, like, another ultra-hot young star, the Kim Woo Bin, Lee Jong-suk, like, RPF fandom comes from. It's very problematic because they literally crawl all over each other and cuddle as they sleep in that drive. It's, un- it's unbelievable. Um, and they're actually best friends in real It's I can't even talk about it. This is, like, a lot of hot, tall boys who, like, hit each other in the face in that drama. And it's just, like, cry in the rain because they're so in love. They're just very bad. Um, (laughs) Then he was in I Hear Your Voice, which is amazing. It's a drama about um, a boy who can read your mind if he looks you in the eye. Uh, And as a child... His father is killed when this guy drives a car into theirs and then steps out of the car. This is not like an accidental killing. Like the guy T-bones their car, gets out of his car, picks up a baseball bat, and then beats this kid's dad to death in front of him. And because he's eight and the trauma from the experience has more or less rendered him mute and nobody has any CCTV footage, like no one can do anything the guy that he's, like, fingered as the criminal is about to get off the hook. Except for the fact that these two schoolgirls see this happening. And the two of them are standing outside the courtroom doors as this trial is going on, and they're, like, basically psyching each other out to go inside and be witnesses because they're terrified, right? Like, they watch this man, like, brutally beat someone to death. And they're going in to testify against him. And... They count to three, and they're going to open the doors together, and only one of them does it, and only one of them goes through. And that is the girl who goes in, and she backs up his story. And it's lovely because he's, like, eight years old. She's, like, a teenager, so she's, like, 14 or 15 or something like that. And he looks at her as if she is a giant, you know? Like, she is the hero of his life. Um for having come through and as she confirms his story and is like that is the man who beat this kid's dad to death the guy like loses his calm exterior like jumps out of the defendant's box and like tries to kill her in the courtroom and swears that one day he'll be out and he'll murder her fast forward (laughs) 10 years uh this little boy has grown into 
the frankly provoking Lee Jong-suk as like a hot teenager who can read minds. And this little girl has grown into the world's least interested lawyer. She's like a public defendant, but she's so like disinterested and doesn't care. And she's like lazy and sort of spiteful. Um, but this kid has been looking for her his whole life because like basically that day he like made a vow to himself that like he's going to grow up and be big and strong and protect her from this guy, the serial, this like man who killed his father. If he ever gets out of jail, he's going to protect her from him. And what do you know? His parole comes up and he gets out of jail and the two of them have like, an amazing, wonderful, like, chemistry and, like, a patter, and they don't give up on the magical realism of him being able to read minds. It's actually, like, a huge component of their relationship because there's no way for her to, like, do the typical thing that you do to draw out a romance, which is to, like, pretend you are not interested in that person. Like, he can read your mind. He knows <laughs> that you want him. So all of the issues that they have to kind of deal with are very external, and um, it's it's really lovely. It's really lovely. It's really well done. And frankly speaking, um, this is like a trend that happened, I think, like about a year or two ago. And thank God it's still going. But there's this whole thing called like the Nuna killer, which is like basically younger dudes who are like all about the older ladies. <laughs> and like, I am all about this trend. Yes. Because I am like a full five years older than Lee Jong-suk and he could be my Nuna killer any day. I have real problems with that kid. You really do. So do a lot of other people. And when we get to questions, you'll see. I don't get it. I know. I know. But that's okay. That's like more for me. And then you can have like whatever the alien guy is. Oh, I love him so much. I know. We're just going to, like, divvy them up. That works. I know. So uh, those are three fairly recent ones that are pretty famous. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else you want to specifically say about, like, K-dramas before we get to our questions? Um, I will say that the ones that we've talked about are all pretty modern. Um, I think if you're interested in starting with historical ones, I would definitely say watch Queen and Hands Bam because it does enough of the straddling of like modern and past mm -hmm. to kind of get your toes wet and then, you know, you can go watch some historical dramas because I think that the learning curve for those ones is a little bit higher. Um, I think it's worth it though. They're so beautiful. Oh, absolutely. They're gorgeously done. Like the production values for these shows are just so high. They just, the costuming is amazing, the scenery is amazing, the settings, like, everything about it is gorgeous. Um, and a lot of the historical ones will give you, I'd say, oh, if you're looking for a lot more ladies in your show, yeah, um, definitely watch the historical ones, because inevitably you're going to be looking at kind of the, the women around the king or around the prince, and they control a lot of the power, and it's really fascinating to watch them. Yeah, and it's always like, it's it, it's not just that they control power, it's the ways in which they influence power. It's really interesting. Yes, yes absolutely. Like, the one that I'm currently watching right now, which is airing currently, um, is The King's Face. And 
the ladies in that are pretty amazing. I'm really enjoying that one. It's ridiculous, and I'm not going to try to summarize it for any of you. But <laughs> You and three other people who are watching that are really enjoying it. The thing about it is, like, I before we started recording, I tried to explain, because basically what I do is I watch K-dramas, and then I just, like, in G-chat, scream at Prue. Yes. Because she did this to me. I know. So she deserves all of the screaming. It pleases me. But so then she said, I don't really understand what's going on in that one. And so I'm trying to explain it. And I think I stopped like three or four times just being like, I hear what I'm saying. And it's ridiculous. But it works. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, okay. Let's, let's, let's go to our questions. All right. Um, so the first question I think is actually quite a good one. Um, from an Anon on Tumblr, for K-drama, what would you recommend to try and sway the unswayables into enjoying them? Um, the unswayables. I'd say make them watch Queen Inhyun's Man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's so perfect. It's our answer like, to everything. It is. It's our answer for everything because it really is so perfect. Like, it's the one that ends the way that you want it to end. It's so satisfying all the way through. The male protagonist is like the platonic ideal of the male protagonist. He is. Literally, Bongo is, is his name, and he is the standard to which I think we both hold every male protagonist up to. I know. It's like it's, I feel like there's, like, going to be a really dark moment, like, one day, like, when we get married, like, at your <laughs> wedding or something, where, like, you and I are going to be, like, hanging around, getting shit-faced at the open bar afterward, and I'll be like, you know, that shiftless loser you're marrying is okay, but he's no Kim Bongdo. <laughs> so true it's so true i would say you can get just about anybody by getting them to watch queen and hen's man um if they have enjoyed smallville or any of the kind of marvel dc ish things i'd say you can probably get them with my love from another star probably yeah that kind of element to it and if they just love romance and rom-coms i would say make them watch faded to love you I feel like this question um, is complicated because I definitely have people in my life who I feel like they should love K-dramas. Like, they love other things that are much worse quality that sort of do the same thing that K-dramas do, cough, MK. But they don't like K-dramas. And so I feel like the thing is that, like, there are people who are unswayable because it's just, like, not their jam and jelly, you know? Like, they're just not into it. It's the same way that, like, a lot of people have recommended certain media to me over the years, and I'm just, like, not into it, you know? It's like, I don't want anybody else to stop doing it. Like, it's like water sports. Like, if you guys want to pee on each other, I am, like, so excited for you to pee on each other. I'm personally not into peeing on each other. But, like, I can see that you guys are, and I'm really happy about it, you know? So I think on some level... I'm very anti, like, I'm not committed to swaying people who have proven definitively or even just, like, expressed that they don't want to be swayed. I think it's always fair to offer, and if they're hesitating because of what you think are superficial or, like, unrealistic reasons, like, they just think that they're, like, 
not going to like it because it has subtitles and they don't like subtitles or like whatever. Um, I think it's always fair to give it a shot. But I also think that if people have like expressed multiple times that they're just not into the medium or they're not interested in it, like it, we got to let those people go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because they'll drag you down. They, like, they'll you they'll slow you down, be, like, poking holes in your favorite thing. Exactly, and you know what? Like, it, that's one less person that you have to fight for. Whoever you've decided to name is your like K drama husband. Do you know what yes, I mean? Absolutely. Like, um, we already have dibs on ours, guys. Yeah. So... so I will fight you in the street. I will fight you. I will fight you on the beaches. I will fight you in the cities. <laughs> Um, for Lee Jung Suk, I will sharpen my nails into points. Um, yeah, yeah. But Jung for but for the people who are just like not sure, I would say um, Waldorf suggestions are really good. I would also say if you want to try something that is like not romance focused or they're not into romances, you're kind of shit out of luck because romances are very much the point of many K-dramas. Like the only gen one that I can sort of think of right now is literally school 2013. But like that's really just thugs in love crying in the rain because they're so in love. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I would say, what would, like, what is one other one that is good? <sighs> that might be good beyond what you had already mentioned. Hang on, I'm going to my history. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, if you want something that's like a another See, sort of, is, there are some that are really good, but like I would not throw some, but somebody at them like first thing. Yeah, it's like I was just thinking that about Moon and Sun. Like I don't think yeah. that that should be anyone's first K drama. I don't think Princess's Man should be anyone's first right. K drama. What about Rooftop Prince? Didn't you like that one? Too stupid. That's like yeah. one that you kind of have to already like buy into the premise, and then you Bride can do of the it. Century. Oh, that one's kind of perfect. So K-drama does have, like, a very bad reputation among certain circles for just being, like, full-on crazy melodrama, like, everyone getting hit by a car while having stomach cancer, and, like, yes, that is very true in some cases. Um, But Bride of the Century is somehow, like, all of those elements with, like, doppelgangers and, like, ghosts and curses, but delightful. Somehow delightful. And the one time it implies that they have sex, they're both fully dressed in bed and like literally lying with like a foot of space between each other. And they pull up the covers and then you're like, oh damn, they did it. <laughs> so Bride of the Century, yes, is one that you could sort of count. Um, I was going to say Gung, which is a bit older, um, but it's also amazing. And it, I've talked about this one before, but a quick rundown of the premise is that it's a alternate reality where um, Korea was never split into North and South and it's still a constitutional monarchy. So there is a Royal family. And um, so it's basically what an Asian Royal family would look like, or specifically a Korean Imperial family would look like in modern day. So you get the beauty of like the court dress within, like, a modern setting. And um, it's about the crown prince of Korea getting betrothed to an ordinary girl um, for shenanigan reasons. They don't actually like each other at the beginning. And then them slowly falling in love. And it's 
delightful. It is so charming and so fun, and it made mega stars out of both of the um, out of both of the leads. And it's it was so it was like the most expensive K drama at the time of its production, and it really shows. They like spared no expense with this, and it's like so fun and lovely. Um, also, like beautiful costumes, modern day setting. You should hit that. Absolutely. Can't go wrong. Requires zero brain power. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next question. Oh, boy. I think that we sort of, like, hit most of this, which was, um, I'm so going to butcher your name. I'm really sorry about this. It's Illy Kujic, I think, on Tumblr. Um, the questions were, what was your K- gateway K-drama? And, like, mine was all about Eve. Yours was... Or is Queen in hands with Okay. Um, and this person's was the Korean version of Boys Over Flowers. Damn. That's some dark shit, girl. And then uh, we've talked extensively about my love from another star. Um, so perfect. <laughs> we'll, we just gave some wrecks. So I think we covered all of your questions, except for the fact that um, my Boys Over Flowers has to be one of like the most remade properties in the world at this point. There's like 15 versions of it. Um, and our last question, why did I save this one for last? <laughs> this is like, this is like Prue shame hour question. Excellent. This is from like an Anon on Tumblr. And the question is, or the comment is, so I have a really terrible Lee Jong-suk problem. <laughs> I did not submit this. <laughs> Sure, sure. I will watch pretty much anything he's in, which means I made the giant mistake of watching Doctor Stranger. I cried, parentheses, I cried, my roommate cried, our ancestors cried, it was bad. And I've been gun shy ever since. Will Pinocchio hurt me the same way, or are there other relatively happier (laughs) dramas I should be watching? So, here's the deal. Doctor, I'm really sorry that you watched Doctor Stranger, because that was a nightmare for us all. (laughs) That was a drama that started off promising, and then a lot of things happened, and we'll never get that time back in our lives, really. Oh man, that drama fucking sucked. It like went completely <laughs> off the rails in like the worst, most dramatic way. That unspeakable. We're striking that from his record. Um, if you want to watch other things with Lee Jung Suk in them, I would assume that you have watched um, Secret Garden. I mean, I would watch Secret Garden. Uh, I would definitely watch School. Uh, I think that you are one hundred percent safe to watch I Hear Your Voice, and I think you should definitely watch Pinocchio. So here's the thing, though. All of these will make you cry. Secret Garden will make you cry. School will make you cry. I Hear Your Voice made me cry. Like, I'm still crying about I Hear Your Voice. Um, I'm, like, currently in the process of crying over Pinocchio, but it's different crying. It's like the way you always cry over a K-drama, and not the way that, like, collectively the world watching Dr. Stranger had like the head tilt moment of like, okay, <laughs> like <laughs> what, what just happened here? This is like the weirdest North Korean drama I've ever, what? So it you'll, I mean like you're not going to be safe. Like his sad face with his beautiful plush mouth will still be making you cry. 
in all of those dramas that I just mentioned, but like not in the Doctor Stranger, like, I wish I could kill myself because, like, this is the worst thing I've ever watched way. Um, so I think you're in the clear. Go with God. And if and if you regret it, you know, episode eight of I Hear Your Voice, then it's not my fault. Someone else wrote that story. Great. Eight plus. The end. <laughs> That actually brings up, like, a really good point. Like, All right, let's all hear what fixated. this really good point is. No, but we all get fixated, right? You watch that one great show, and then you're like, like, Green Inhum's Man. Mm-hmm. We loved those two leads. How much of our lives have been wasted watching their subsequent projects? Oh. Trot lovers? That was 16 was hours of my life that I will never get back. Dark shit. The Secret Hotel? Uh, I liked the first part of Secret Hotel. Yeah, but by, like, episode five, we were, it was awful. It was, that's true. So this is very, but I feel like I wonder how much of this is, like, K-drama's fault, or how much of this is, like, our fanish instincts' fault. Because how many people, because of Stardew Atlantis, watched terrible shit that David Hewlett and Joe Flanagan were in? Like, I watched Danielle Steele's family album because Joe Flanagan was in it. Okay. That's some dark shit. I know. I have not done that. I, but a lot, but like, you have definitely watched stuff that you know is not good because the actors in it you like. I don't actually think that I have. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think about it. Like, I've never watched any of Jensen Ackles' terrible movies. He's only been in two. Well, I haven't watched either of them. You're missing out. They're really bad. I refuse. (laughs) I never watched any of David Hewlett or Joe Flanagan's stuff. Does this mean mean you never watched the Jared Padalecki, Thomas Kincaid movie where he paints the light? What? No. What? Oh, it's a gift to mankind. Never watch it. It's called The Christmas Cottage. (laughs) Yeah, that is a thing that actually... You need to Google this. If you guys have not seen this thing... I mean, like, don't watch it. But, like, look up... Just Google search Jared Padalecki, Thomas Kincaid, Paint the Light. That's all you have to do. Or love yourselves and and don't. Or you could love yourselves even more and spank that monkey... Google it. Okay. Um, Point being, you will follow your favorite actors into some really dark shit. That's true. That's true. I think that it's really hard to tell, right? You never know. Like something is going to go off the rails. And so you're literally, you are always just taking that plunge on faith. Yes. Very true. Basically, it's like, oh, this actor is in it, and I really liked this actor, and it's their first project, you know, back from, you know, being in the army, so obviously I'm going to watch it. What is wrong with his head? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, part of the reason that it's always such a hit-or-miss proposition is because... K-dramas are are filmed on a live shoot system. And I talked about this in the past, but in case um, you have not heard about this, it is one of the craziest things that you'll ever hear about. Um, 
U.S. seasons are commissioned in advance, and they are filmed in advance, mm -hmm. um, at least like several months in advance of airing. K-dramas are filmed pretty much concurrently with airing. So generally speaking, by the time a K-drama, like the first episode of a K-drama hits the air, there will be no more than about five or six scripts completed, and maybe one or two episodes in the can. So even as the show is running, and remember what I said about these shows running for about three months, about three or four months long, these shows are running, the actors and the crews are filming simultaneous to the show's airing, which means that the actual like episode by episode, point by point breakdowns of ratings matter. So like they have a live feedback loop on like what is working and what isn't working in the show. So like there will be dramas where it's like very famous for like, um, like completely changing a huge plot point because they realize everyone watching the show hated it. Or there's um, a drama that was fairly well known a while back called um, like Spy Bull Wong or something like that, where they had to like cancel two episodes, like they had to skip two weeks of airing because the entire like production team walked off and they like didn't have any episodes. Um, which also means that like frequently what you if you get into k-dramas what you will start fearing is the word extension so like if yes. the show gets really popular the networks will be like well this is great let's keep milking this gravy train so they'll like extend the show by like anything from like two to four episodes which can be a death knell for pacing because if it's been great up to now and well paced and is like works then throwing two additional things to have to like space it out over the course of two hours can just be a nightmare um, right. and oftentimes will ruin entire shows. Um, so it's one of the craziest systems ever, which is why like it, there's no guarantee, right? There's no way to say like, oh, this um, director is doing the show or this writer is doing the show and these actors are in it. So it's a, it's going to be great, you know, right. because it may be great up until episode six and then the whole thing will like careen off the tracks into like the Grand Canyon because uh life shooting. Right. And and that's if you're lucky. If you are lucky, it will go off the tracks at episode six and you will be able to say, Haha, no, no, I'm not doing this. Yeah. If you are unlucky. Yeah. If you're us. If you're us, it will be literally the last episode. Yeah. And it will suck. And it will rewrite basically everything. Yeah. You will not get a satisfying ending because reasons. And you will be bitter about it for a year. Possibly more. <laughs> it's only been a year, so. Something like that. Something like that. I mean, and there are, like, very famous examples of this, right? Like, um, you haven't watched this one, Waldorf, but uh, Big was an epic example of this. The premise was that... Um, it was a body swap comedy, so it was basically, like, a teacher, um, her teenage, like, student <clears throat> who was in love with her and her boyfriend, and the teenage student and the boyfriend swapped bodies. Of course. Yeah, and, like, the whole thing was, like, great up until the very end, where they were, like, they did the thing, and, like, no one wanted the thing, and you're, like, why would you do this? It betrays the entire premise. And then there's the one that I didn't watch, but it was, like, infamous. It was called, um... 
it, it was basically like a show about a woman who like travels back in time to try to like change past self's like marital decisions to be like don't marry this guy it was a bad idea and the whole premise of the show is that she's supposed to like marry someone else like pick a different person to marry and the show ends by not telling you who she marries (gasps) yeah and you're like what like what (laughs) that is unacceptable yeah it was just like kind of like what the fuck happened did you guys get drunk unfelt like how did this okay whatever um yeah so like i it's very much like a leap of faith every time you do it but i feel like the way that i approach k-dramas is like i approach fan fiction where i will happily open 60 tabs of them and i will never ever hesitate to be like no thanks and x out of any of them yeah i have the opposite problem (laughs) which she knows Uh Um, where I will, unless it's, like, genuinely terrible, and I think it's only been one that I have failed out of so far, I will ride it to the end. (laughs) (laughs) I will hate watch it for, like, ten fucking episodes. She certainly did. She's referring to Secret Hotel. Um, so... Started out with such promise. So promising. So, like, so charming. And so well done. So charming. And then, I don't know. I don't know what notes they could possibly have gotten. I don't know. But, essentially, the whole thing fell apart. Characterizations went, like, completely off the rails. Yep. You were bored as hell with it. Because there was only a... There was, like, this is the weird thing. It is a... This is a drama... About two people who got divorced, meet up again because she is like the wedding planner for his his upcoming nuptials, which are interrupted when a dead body falls through the ceiling into the middle of the ceremony. Like, how did that suck, right? Like, everything about that is like an amazing setup. And the, the, the actors are like super great. Like, I do not fault the actors for why the show went off the rails because they did no. the best that they could. The dude was really charming. The girl, I'm on the record as like loving her to death. Absolutely. Um, and like, it just like was so bad. It's just like, you would think that with all of these like, legitimate conflicts and issues that they had they could have done something more interesting than what they did which was to completely recycle like this dumb second lead garbage over and over again yeah for the and back I mean, half. I think it also fell prey to the the pacing was terrible yeah like they just it was like they didn't know what they were writing so like the pacing for the murder mystery was off and then they would remember, oh, wait, we're writing a romance in the middle of this. Yeah. And I swear to God, they changed the backstory. Like, they, they did a ton of flashbacks on, like, their past relationship. And I swear they retconned their own story, like, five times over the course of the show. Yeah. Although I will say that there is actually an excuse for the reason my secret hotel went fucked up. This is, like, the worst reasoning. But the writer, the, the original writer of the series died oh god <laughs> yeah like she was actually like late stage um terminal illness and she had written the first five episodes wait is that why they had that character i don't know 
that is, the cancer? That might have been. But, like, she... <laughs> She wrote the first five episodes and then she passed away. She had outlined the rest of it, but then she passed away and then, like, other writers came in and picked up the rest of the story. Okay, so the first five episodes... See, that's what I said. Yeah, those first five episodes are great. It's episode six where it went off the rails. Yeah. So, like we're saying, it's it can be a hit or miss proposition. But I there, again, like I said, there's so many of them. And every three months there's, like, a new batch of them. So you have a lot to watch and I think that you now thankfully have a lot more options to watch them I think the easiest ways are um drama fever mm-hmm. or Vicky um there's tons of k-dramas on Hulu and on Netflix um and all you really have to do is google k-dramas and like you'll find millions of streaming options out there this Absolutely. isn't like this isn't like the dark days guys where, like, I had to go to, like, a place with a thing and, like, get a certain timed version of this to get, like, the one set of soft subs. You guys have it so easy now. Oh, my God. Y'all don't even know, man. <laughs> yeah. I suffered. I know you did. I know. I Dark days. All right. Um, I, I think that we've beaten this dead horse. Do you have any closing thoughts before we end this? Um... I will say we have not wrecked them. Oh, that's true. But um, my wrecks are going to be historical dramas. You Do need it. to watch, and you need to watch it all the way through. Oh, my God. You need to watch The Princess's Man. Don't watch that one, guys. You need to watch it. Like, I shit you not, you will be... Okay, this is not a good wreck. Because I was going to be like, they'll be destroyed? Is that what you're going to say? You will. Essentially, this is the show. This is the one that I watched. I had, I think it was a three-day weekend. And I literally was curled up in bed and just sobbing the entire time. Like, there was just tissues all around me in the shape of my fetal position. And then, (laughs) but it's one that you also will be thinking about for, like, months after. It's such a, like well-done story that you really should watch. The second one is The Moon That Embraces the Sun. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which we talk about, like, on the regs. Like, (laughs) there's a specific scene in that one (laughs) that has become, like, our barometer for (laughs) just heartbreakingly, like, wretched, ugly, crying dehydrated, never gonna get over it. Yep. Like, <laughs> distress. <laughs> and for the for those of you who are listening to this and have watched Moon Embraces the Sun, like, literally, all I have to say is, she's my princess. And just, like, we're gone. She's my princess. But she's my princess. If you guys have ever really wanted your hearts ripped out of your throats, watch, like, preteens be earnestly in love with each other and have that torn apart. Oh, my God. But that... (laughs) (laughs) I can't even continue on. But that one also is, like, super, super well done. Um, It, (laughs) despite what we're saying, it does have a happy ending. It Um, does. Yeah, it, it is. It's but it's genuinely it's gorgeously done and really epic and has a little bit of kind of 
the supernatural um, involved with it, and it's just it's it's you have to watch that one. So the moon that embraces the sun, and the princess's man. Excellent. I think those are actually really good recs. Um, <clears throat> so my personal, I mean, like my personal taste in K drama skews a little bit. I like my relationships a bit more complicated. Um, so my recs sort of reflect this. One of the dramas that I really, really fell completely for and that I don't think other people did um, is Emergency Couple. So this is a cable TV drama and it stars um, Song Ji-hyo, who I love, um, and Choi Jin-hyuk, who is like eight feet tall and like a statuesque beast of a man. Um, for And I love him for that. And they, they are a young couple who like ran away from family responsibilities and eloped. He was then cut off and had to drop out of medical school. Um, and that was like the beginning of the end for their very brief marriage where, you know, like love didn't overcome all. And then many years later, both of them have actually finished medical school and they find out that they're interning at the same hospital. Specifically, they're both doing like two ER rotations back to back at this internship. And it is awesome. So this is like, this show is like way more people screaming at each other and like having misunderstandings and like sex farce and like crazy bad family shit. But it also has, um, like really good chemistry between the leads, I think. And more importantly, it has one of my favorite actors in it. Um, he's usually not like the lead in these sorts of things. Cause I think he like just turned 40. So he plays like the stoic angry boss a lot, which if you know me, you know, is like my particular bag. Um, he plays like the emergency department's like angry chief and he's, he's like very hot. He's very hot and he's like super verbally abusive and I'm like all about that. <laughs> and he's great. Um and he's like our second lead in the drama which is really wonderful. So I was like a huge fan of Emergency Couple. It's a TVN drama so it's like a little bit more racy. Um really really fun. The other thing that I would recommend and this is not actually a K-drama and we didn't talk about this at all, but it's a variety show and it's called Running Man, which also stars um, Song Ji-hyo. It is like the weirdest show in the world. I don't even know how to describe it. But it's basically, it really like, it's, like a, it's like a show that like could not be made in America. It's basically like a show where they have like a standing cast of comedians and celebrities and they do like dumb challenges and like races and... Um, stupid puzzle games and then like every week they invite like television celebrities in and torture them with the same yes. dumb challenges and things like that and like what like for example one time they had to like build a boat out of cardboard and cross the han river in the dead of winter like so many things that you could never ever ever do on western television they do on running man and it's completely mindless entertainment um it's on drama fever and it's super funny i really like it i'll just like put it on when i like want to completely disconnect my brain from my um you know from everything else if i want yeah. to completely disconnect my brain from everything else that is the show i will go for 
I will say that that one, I think, that one I had a harder time getting into. Like, Mm -hmm. you had talked about it, and so I watched it. And then they did the um, My Love from Another Star episode. Oh, that's right. Which was just batshit crazy. Yeah, because they they do themed episodes because they play to the terms of, like, they basically, like, will bring, like, so, for example, I think... When school was on, they brought in Kim Woo Bin and Lee Jung Suk um, for a school themed episode, and then like I had problems as a result of that. I'm, I'm sure you did. I had a lot of problems. Yes. And then so, my my last recommendation, I can't believe I'm going to recommend this, but like I feel like other people have to watch this. Oh no! This is a show called Prime Minister and I. No! What? Okay, look. This is a show that definitely went off the rails at what? Like, about episode 12? But before that, the setup is so good. I know, she's like, she. it's like I've killed her family. She's so betrayed. <laughs> it's really, like, I, I really like it. And if you are like me, and you like powerful older men, then you should totally watch this. Okay, okay. I will caveat this (laughs) by saying, okay, fine. Go ahead and watch the first 12 episodes and then go to Drama Beans and pull up the episode summaries and just read them for the next 10 or so. She's not wrong. You should definitely do that. Because it's not worth investing your life into the remaining. Because that one just went real wrong. No, she's right. She's totally right. Like, if you hate yourselves, go ahead and watch it. But love yourselves, guys. But no, the setup is so good. Like, this. Oh, agreed. Oh, wait, the setup is older the widower. So charming. Hot older widow becomes like the prime minister of Korea. Like through a series of crazy shenanigans, he ends up having to like marry this like hilariously like hot garbage mess tabloid reporter. Um, and they have to like fake marry, but obviously genuinely fall in love. And it's all set to this, like, crazy political background. And, like, there was no part of this setup that was not just me being like, yes, give it to me. Shoot it straight into my veins. And the thing was, it was so, so good. It was like, so good. Like, their chemistry was amazing. He was so, like, cranky mm-hmm. about the idea of being in love. His children are so resentful of her presence. Understandably. And she is, like, trying to protect his career, and she's trying to be kind of a mother to these kids and kind of a wife, and it, it's great. It's like crack. Yeah. It just... Just just went. stop watching after episode 12. Yeah. I'd say you could even get to, like, the second to last one, just don't watch the last episode. That's a fair assessment. I, I can't debate that assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we have to end it there, Waldorf. <laughs> On that bitter note. <laughs> On that bitter note. But, um, thank you for hanging out with me today. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm always happy to show off the ways in which I've dragged you down with me. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Thanks for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, guys. Um, that does it for us this week. If you miss our ramblings during the course of the week, you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report or on Tumblr at Slash Report, even though we don't really post anything there. You can find me on Twitter at Often Imprudent, and you can find Waldorf on Twitter as at Waldorf. Yep. And um, if you follow us, you can hear us yell about how it's too early. <laughs> we shouldn't be I crying. Like my this. tears are blood. Indeed, indeed. Alrighty, guys, um, we will see you on the flip side. Bye!